Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 592 with Eric Silverstein. You know, I always ask people this when, they, when they're like, oh, I want to be in the restaurant business. And I just throw it back at them. And I'm like, well, what are you willing to sacrifice? Because if you're not willing to sacrifice a lot of your hobbies, a lot of your interests, then this might not be the right thing for you. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. I'm sure you've heard of Revel, but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Revel point of sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Revel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. Here is a statistic for you. 89% of all guests will research a restaurant online before dining out. So you've got to start thinking about how you can extend your in-house hospitality and attention to detail to the online world. Bento Box is a great place to start. They will develop a restaurant website that not only leaves lasting impressions with your guests, but also provides hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online and guests into your restaurant. Sign up today at Get bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Eric Silverstein. My man, Eric, are you feeling unstoppable today? Always. Yes. And I have to take a moment just to thank you before we introduce you. This is our second recording. The first time I had Eric on uh, my interface, the thing that connects my microphone to my computer, decided to stop working. And Eric, like uh, the generous champion of a man he is, was like, yeah, I'll come back. I'll, I'll make another hour and 15 minutes worth of time for you, Eric. Uh, and I'm just so grateful that you are doing this again for us, Eric. And You're very welcome. I've got to say, the first time we spoke to you, it was an awesome interview, so uh, no pressure to deliver it like (laughs) you did last time, but you guys are in for a treat. So Eric Silverstein spent the first 10 years of his life in Japan before moving to Atlanta, Georgia. He would go on to study marketing, finance, and law at Washington University, and in 2010, Silverstein left his life of litigation for a life of roaming the streets of Austin in his food truck, the Peach Tortilla, where he served Asian food and Southern-inspired tacos and sliders. Over the years, he has continued to grow the business, turning it into a multi-truck operation, boutique, full-service catering company, two brick-and-mortar restaurants, and a social house. Man, you got a lot going on. You've really scaled this thing over the past 10 years. I cannot wait to dive into your story again, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? Well, uh, you know, I've got this little uh, sort of plaque sitting on my desk at home. My dad gave it to me many, many years ago, and um, I... I think you even referenced it's an old Gretzky, Gretzky, yeah. sorry, Wayne Gretzky co- quote, which is, you know, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. That's always been my mantra. That's always something I've kind of lived and died by um, in the sense that, uh, you know, you live once and, um, you know, you got to go for it. Yeah, Sometimes man. you just got to pull the trigger. No regrets, right? No regrets. I love it. So 
kind of dive into what you were doing before you got into the restaurant industry. You have a really unique story. Yeah. You have a re- really unique background. Get into that. Well, um, you know, I definitely did not have a linear path into the restaurant business. I I went to college, got a finance and marketing degree. Um, originally, I wanted to be a sports agent and represent athletes. Uh, so I went to law school and um, ended up graduating law school and working as a litigator. Um, I teamed up with some sports agents that had repped some college coaches and NFL players and whatnot. Um, and I'd previously worked for, for two other agents. That didn't pan out um, long term. Uh, I was ended up just being, you know, your everyday lawyer billing hours. And um, I got pretty uh, disenchanted with the work. I wasn't loving going to work every day. And I, and I strongly believe that you have to do what you love. So I left. Um, I, I did it for a little less than three years. Um, packed my shit up and um, moved. I was in St. Louis at the time. I'd been in Missouri for 10 years. Um, and I told my girlfriend, who's now my wife, I said, look, um, I've, I've done my 10 years here. Uh, I fucking hate cold weather. <laughs> and uh, I mean, the timing is impeccable that we're having this podcast because it's like negative 16 degrees in All Chicago right now. right now. And it's so like... Missouri's, you know, cold as shit. Yeah, man. Um, so I was like, look, I'm, I'm, I want to start my own business. I have that entrepreneurial fire right now. I'm 26. Um I'm never going to have a time in my life like I do now to be able to pursue my dreams. Mm. And I, we don't have kids. We don't have a mortgage. I'm happy to live lean and sacrifice to pursue my passion. So that's what we did. Yeah. You know, and I get really excited when I have people on the show who have uh, unique backgrounds because I've noticed that in this industry, there's so many different hats you have to wear. So many things you need to be good at 100%. to really be competitive today. You don't you don't necessarily have to break into this industry through the traditional route of going to work for uh, another restaurant tour and learning under their tutelage. I mean, that's one way to go, and that's a, a great way to go. But also, I mean, you with your experience in, in marketing and in, in finance, Finance and law. I mean, those are some really great assets to have underneath your, or you know, under or under your belt to like really uh, use to attract onto yourself other talent that might be stronger where you're weaker. Maybe we'll get into that as you started talking about growing your team or something like that. But um, yeah, why don't we go a little bit further back in time and talk about your childhood? Yeah, because I think that that really did kind of influence what you're doing today. Sure. Uh, I mean, my childhood. I had a unique childhood. You know, um, I was born in Tokyo. Um, I'm not Japanese. Um, my mom's Chinese. Uh, my dad is a Jewish American guy from New York. Um, so, I mean, in a nutshell, uh, I was I had a little bit of an identity crisis when I was a kid. Um, but the biggest positive was that I was living in a foreign country with a tremendous food culture. Um, in many ways, I consider myself uh, at least you know, 5% Japanese just because <laughs> I inherited so much of the culture yeah. and the discipline at a very early age. Um, you know, there, there's just something to be said for when you're a kid and you wake up and you get out of the door and your neighbors are Japanese and you speak Japanese to them and you say good morning to them. And there's just the culture was put into me at a very early age. Um, and a big part of that culture is food. Japanese don't have huge houses. They don't drive huge SUVs. But what they do do is they eat well. Mm. And the food in Japan is some of the best food I've ever had in anywhere in, in, in the world. Um, couple that with a lot of 
traveling that my parents took me on to Singapore, Bali, Indonesia, um, all throughout Asia. And paired with all of that, the fact that my mom was Chinese and she learned a lot of home cooking um, growing up in Hong Kong. And food was just a big part of my life. And it still is. Um, Some of my best memories as a kid are formed at the dining table. My family would eat dinner every night together. Um, And so I think that has shaped, you know, a lot of me and why I'm in food. Um, And I cook a lot of the food that influenced me as a kid, you know, food that I find comforting to me, that that's what drives the menu. So what about people in your life? Uh, One of the missions behind this podcast isn't just to share your knowledge, but also to share your values. And I think our values come from those who formed us, those who influenced us early on. So any key mentors uh, maybe coming up in the world of law or just other people that might have really influenced who you are today? In terms of values or... Yeah, values, uh, ethics, things, things of that nature. Yeah. Well, I would say, I mean, one of my mentors throughout life is always you know somebody who i've always monitored and watches obviously my dad Uh, my dad was an entrepreneur um you know he's he's always been kind of a hustler um i've learned from things that he's done well things that haven't worked out and everything in between um but i think it's always helpful when you're an entrepreneur to have somebody uh who's done it before that you can kind of take your cues from um, and who can speak honestly about what it's like to own your own business. Um, I'm certainly had other mentors, um, that have helped inspire me. Um, a couple that come to mind are, um, you know, Josh Henderson, who's a chef out of Seattle that, um, owns the Huxley Wallace collective. And he started in the food trailer and he's, he's one guy who had a couple very honest conversations when I was on the fence about this business in general, um, as to whether to build a restaurant. And he really was like, Hey man, you should just go for it. Um, so go for it, build a restaurant. Yeah. I was, you know, I mean a restaurant, you know, building a restaurant's not cheap and, and it's, it's an expensive endeavor. It takes a while to get your money back. And, um, I was really on the fence at that time. So I feel like I'm cheating a little bit because I got the chance to talk to you before. So I know sure. some of your story and I have spoken right. to a lot of people. So if any of that part of that story is, oh, those stories are starting to overlap, I yeah. apologize. But your dad was a restaurateur, right? He was. So you got to grow up experiencing firsthand the the reality of what it's like to own your own restaurants. So reflecting back at how he ran his restaurants, what did you learn from his successes and his mistakes? Well, um, you know, my dad was trying to penetrate uh, a market that was very different than the United States. I mean, he was penetrating the Asian market. He built a bunch of restaurants in China and Hong Kong. He misread the market. His concepts didn't work as well. There's perhaps a little bit less red tape in Asia, but the ways that landlords deal with you and such, the business ethics aren't perhaps as strong in the United States. And so, um, I mean, long story short, I think he just missed on concept a little bit. Um, but I also learned how difficult and challenging it was to run multiple restaurants. Um, you know, and there's many a dinner conversation where, um, my mom would sit and say, you know, you know, why did you open up so many restaurants? Your employees are taking a shit on you. They're stealing from you. When it became time to close down, it was very painful. 
from my mom um, because she was kind of forced to handle some of the winding up at some of the restaurants and employees were, you know, when they knew that they were closing, they just kind of took advantage yeah. of them in the situation. Um, so so it, I learned from that experience. What exactly did you learn? How did this experience influence your approach to opening your own? Food well, food? my approach has always been um, grow at a pace that that you can uh, withstand. And make sure you have the infrastructure in place. So we've never grown at a crazy rapid rate. We never opened, you know, two, three units in a year. It's always usually a, a unit a year, a unit every two years. Um, you have to establish the infrastructure, especially with the amount of turnover in this industry. You have to build your team. Um, it takes a while to build a team. It can take years. Um, it takes time to build trust between people. Um, and so the main takeaway from my dad's experience was – you know, be you know. For me, it's like be an active owner, uh, lead by example, know your business inside and out, um, and take your time in building a team. Yeah, and I think that's something uh, just from knowing your story uh, that you've done really well. You've you've scaled, you've let your cash flow and your success and the people you surround yourself with determine your your growth. Um, maybe we'll get more into that. I don't want to put words into your mouth either. Do you, would you yeah. agree with that statement? Yeah. I mean, you, you know, we've never, from a financial standpoint, we've never taken on a lot of debt. Um, I think debt is very deceptive um, because it allows you to grow fast, but, you know, depending on your interest rates and whatnot, you're going to have to repay it. Yeah. So, um, I grow at the pace that we can afford, you know? Um, I prefer to pay cash on stuff because that way I don't have to worry about, you know, personal guarantees yeah. and whatnot. I already got enough personal guarantees on leases and vendors and all that, all that shit. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not, I, I try to check myself and humble myself at least on a daily basis mm. and, and, and say, Hey man, um, look, just cause things are going good today doesn't mean they're going good tomorrow, mm -hmm. you know? So like, let's just just check yourself at the door and just grow this thing at a comfortable pace. There's no need to be a world beater out here. Yeah. I want to hover over your time uh, studying law just a little bit to see if there's anything that you drew from that, the, from, from those years that you sure. applied later on. So reflecting I mean, look, on that. I mean, there's some legal stuff that I drew upon for sure. Setting up our operating agreement, corporate structure, taxes, that, that type of stuff. Um, I certainly review contracts a little, probably a little bit more with a fine tooth comb than the average person. Um, but really, the reality is that what I took away from law school were discipline. Um, I wasn't the smartest guy in law school. I was never going to be the smartest guy. I mean, I sat next to guys in law school class that never paid attention, that scored higher on final exams than I did. I mean, there were some very, very intelligent people in there. Um, what what I could do was I had time. I had time to study. I had time to put in the work. Um, I studied a lot. Uh, I took two bars. I studied a lot for the bar exams. It just instilled a sense of discipline in me, and I was like, "Well, if I'm going to put, if I can put this much time into something that I'm not truly that passionate about, then I sure as fucking put a lot of time into something I am passionate about." Work has never scared me. Putting in seventy, eighty hours a week has never scared me. I'm more incentivized now because I'm doing it for myself. Um, so it, for me, it's about discipline, and I think I think the way you are as a teenager and the way you are going up through college and law school. 
Um, if you're disciplined, then you will be disciplined down the road. If you're not disciplined, then it's very difficult to, to, to create that discipline. What exactly is discipline in your opinion? If you could define the word or break down that word. I mean, it's being regimented, you know, it's having a schedule and sticking it to sticking to it. I mean, in law school, it was like, you know, you eat, you eat, breathe and sleep law school. You, you go to class, you, 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 you go home, you study, you go back to class, you study some more, you take your notes, you write your briefs. Um, that's, that's discipline. You know, it's not getting fucked up on a Thursday before you get to class on Friday, you know? Yeah, man, I, I hear you. And I think discipline, too, also to do the, the the right thing, the harder thing. I mean, we have a choice all the time to do the thing that will be the, you know, the quick fix or the, the quick solution or the harder thing that's going to take a lot more time and it give us a lot more resistance. Sure. But in the, the long run... Uh, it's going to really benefit us. Um, and I think thinking long-term is another form of discipline too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this is a, this is a marathon, right? The restaurant business is a marathon. Yeah. You don't, you don't open a restaurant and think, Oh, I'm going to get all my money back in a couple months, you know? Um, so you have to have that long-term outlook and discipline to me is kind of tied to sacrifice. Mm. You know, it's like, um, what do you want? You know, I always ask people this when they when they're like, "Oh, I want to be in the restaurant business," and I just throw it back at them. I'm like, well, "What are you willing to sacrifice?" You know, um, because if you're not willing to sacrifice a, a lot of your hobbies, a lot of your interests, um, then this might not be the right thing for you. Yeah, and there's one quote that just listening to you talk, it's coming to my mind, and it's like the the quote that comes to mind is. Live your life like no one else is willing so you can live the rest of your life like no one else can. And I can't remember where that came from. I've heard it a bunch of times. But it's like this willingness to to sacrifice now for later, yeah. which which I think is kind of what I'm hearing. And yeah. your story really resonates with me because we kind of have similar backgrounds. Um, I was in aviation before getting back yeah. into the hospitality industry. I grew up in a restaurant industry too. My parents owned restaurants. Sure. And the thing that I want to pull from – what you're saying is that it's so important when you when you find something uh, that you're passionate about and you're able to find success in other verticals with things that you weren't passionate about. Imagine what you can do when you lean into what your true passion is, which is just yeah. so powerful that I think I want to pull from that conversation. It is, it is truly powerful. I was actually having dinner last night with my wife, and uh, I was we were, I was we were talking about the last time we had <clears throat> like an easy year. You know, and she was, she was like, well, I think it was like 2009, you know, before you started this business. And I thought about it and I was like, well, maybe, you know, you're probably right. I think some years have been tougher than others in the past nine years I've been in hospitality. Um, but the, the reality, the, the, the reality is it's like, look, do you want to enjoy your twenties or do you want to work in your 20s so that you can fucking be set up in your 30 late 30s and early 40s and enjoy that that time because you know you're either going to have to pay for it now or pay for it later so make up your fucking mind yeah. and i think there is this attitude currently i'm not blaming millennials cuz i'm a millennial but there is this attitude like hey like let's just enjoy life now for what it is and i'm not saying that's the wrong outlook i'm not saying that at all i'm just saying my outlook was very different um, and, and when I was in my twenties, I was more like, what can I accomplish now? What can I try and, uh, create now? Um, because I know that when I get into my thirties and especially my late thirties, like I am now life gets more complicated Yeah, and it becomes much more difficult 
to accomplish. Um, particularly, like I said, when you have a mortgage, when you have kids and you have family and it just becomes, life gets more complicated. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you're, you get new priorities in life, and those priorities are going to really put a restriction on the the risk you can take, right? And the 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 experiences you can get. And I, I'm loving this conversation, man. Uh, one thing I want to dive into. Actually, now's a good time to thank our break uh, to to take a break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. So Revel Systems is a complete POS built to help grow your expanding business. I stand by Revel, and I could tell you why it's so great, but I'd rather get my man Colton Schultz, who's with Grain Junction Subs in the Craft Cave, to tell you why he loves Revel. We have been working with Revel for several years, who has partnered with us to streamline our operations. We have implemented delivery management, employee management, sales reporting, kitchen display screens, and so much more. We also utilize mobile order takers and kitchen display systems that are extremely customizable. Nice. So if there's just one thing that you love the most about Revel Systems, what would it be? It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. It's all there to help you run your business. Beautiful. Guys, and if you're listening to this, Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting-edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies, and enhance experience of their employees and their customers. To learn more, head over to revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back. One thing you just said to me that really shook me was this idea of, I think it was you said your wife said to you, or you said you had a conversation with your wife, and that conversation was around, this is the first time uh, in like nine years, or maybe I can't remember exactly what you said. Like, nine life, years. Nine years that this life has been, what was the word you used? Difficult, easy? I, I can't remember what an the. Easy year. An easy year. That, yeah. So, I mean, you already highlighted that you're miserable in the life that you're having before with uh, the litigation and law that just yeah. wasn't for you. You were cold. You want to get away yeah. from all that and, and start anew. Um, so, even though this path was not easy, uh, were you happier doing exactly yeah. what you? Well, I to wouldn't do? say I was miserable. I would just say I was unmotivated <laughs> gotcha. and probably not. I wasn't feeling fulfilled. Okay, I wasn't like miserable. Like I wanted to. Like, <laughs> I was like depressed or something. You know, I still had a pretty good life. I was making good money. I mean, nobody should pity the lifestyle I lived before. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I'm not asking anyone to. Uh, I just wanted more out of life. Gotcha. I felt like there was more to get out like of what? life. What do you mean? Well, creating something, you know, making a name for myself, uh, building a business. There were just, I would just daydream about building a business. You know, that was what I was thinking about was food and building a business and creating. And and I wanted to be inspired. I was not that inspired. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's why I ended up taking the plunge. So as far as an easy life goes, I mean, would you say since you are living your dreams now, yeah. uh, you're no longer daydreaming? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you still are daydreaming. That never ends. But you're, you're dreaming of what you're doing. Yeah. Still, is that? It's not an easy life now. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Yeah. Uh, I work a lot. Uh, I still sacrifice a tremendous amount. Um, the reward is there finally, you know, closer to... I mean, I'm close to a decade in, and it's been a long decade, you know? It's been a fucking long <laughs> I decade. I can imagine, I man. Mean, starting from where I started, uh, it's been a long 10 years. But, um, yeah, it's not an easy life now. No, I, I don't know anybody in hospitality that's like, oh, it's an easy life. I mean, I, I, mean, I would... I think those people are probably in the minority. You know, it, it is hard, but I think that the difference between those who are successful and those who are unsuccessful is that they recognize that, that it's hard, but they embrace that it's hard, and yeah. they recognize that they, they don't have to do this. They get to do this. Well, okay. Yes, I agree. Um, 
I think part of this conversation with, with my wife last night was because my bookkeeper sent me an article uh, from the owner of Eastside Cafe in Austin. Okay. And she just sold her business after 31 years to another restaurateur in town, uh, Sam, who you had on your show. And um, she, there were some just some very, very good quotes in there that, you know, I was kind of like, kind of shooting him off of my wife and she basically said i want to be a she she was joking she goes <laughs> i should be a i, I want to be a restaurant consultant and uh where my clients give me um a million dollars and i give them back five hundred thousand dollars and i tell them i just saved you five hundred thousand dollars <laughs> and i was like you know i was kind of cracking you know i was kind of cracking up at that comment and she you know the gist of the article was like you know, you, you're in this business because you love it, because you're passionate about it, but it's incredibly challenging uh, and it's incredibly tough. And um, there are certain people that have cracked the code of the restaurant business. Um, Sam Fox, Larry McGuire locally, those guys have certainly cracked the code, but they're few and far between. Mm. And um, uh, by no means do I think we're at, I'm at that level. Um, I think I'm still trying to crack that code. So let's let's dissect the the, the past decade that's been yeah. this this challenge for you and for anybody who's gotten into the industry. Uh, and then we'll kind of talk about what you think the you're getting close to cracking the code and what you think that looks like. But uh, what was what was it like taking the leap, uh, getting out of law and saying I'm doing this? Take us to that point, like where you, where you had that conversation with yourself, where you started taking action to make it happen. Yeah, I mean, I was in my I was 26. And I was trying to build a restaurant, so I was going to start in a restaurant. In, in hindsight, it, it was good I didn't. I didn't know enough. Um, I tried to raise money to build a restaurant, and I was getting denied left and right. Um, you know, trying to raise, you know, half a million dollars when you don't have any restaurant experience is very difficult, unless you have very rich friends. So, um, so I, I, I backtracked and started in a food truck. Uh, my sister was living in L.A. She was telling me about the food truck movement. I mean, I was so fucking inspired by that. Um, there were, you know, I don't know Roy Choi, um, who started Kogi, who's like credited as being kind of one of the original food trucks in L.A., and he did the Korean-Mexican fusion tacos. But he really inspired me, um, the way he connected with the food truck movement, street food, kind of what it symbolized, how you could kind of grow your brand on the street. Um, for me, the most fascinating business in the world is like a lemonade stand, you know, <laughs> and like this was like three steps up. It was like a lemonade stand on steroids. And so I was all about it. I was like, man, we're going to create this fucking brand. Uh, we're going to wrap this truck. Um, and fuck it. We'll start this business. I don't give a shit if I <laughs> only have $70,000. Like I'm going to make it roll. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was, you know, it was a lot tougher than I thought it was. Oh gonna yeah. Be. So, what was your thought process? Why, why the food truck? What was it about that food that that approach that you thought was going to be the right approach? I just thought, you know, you could be mobile. You could hit a lot of different spots. Um, you have your roving billboard. Um, the versatility and just being able to move around the startup costs was was extremely attractive to me. Obviously, for everyone, but. The food truck model, the food truck business is completely fucking broken. I've said it over and over again. It's an incredibly tough way to make money. Uh, you know, use it as a stepping stone. By no, by no means is it the end. 
Um, yeah. It's just a gateway. Yeah, and I think that's the way that we should look at it is you're doing this. I mean, the cool thing about the, the food truck is you can get out there. You can engage the public. The, like, like you said, the overhead is way lower. So you, it's something that you can do to, to break in, to create to create the brand, to to develop the brand, to develop relationships, and yeah. to, to build that email list and do all these things where you can set the foundation and use it as a launching pad to get to the next step. But like you said – it's super hard getting into some of the challenges, the things that you didn't see coming that in your opinion, make the, the, the model broken. Well, I mean the regulations, you know, in Austin, there's really no such thing as real street food. And when I say real street food, I mean, you actually can park your truck on the street. You, you cannot park your food truck on the street without some sort of right of way permit, which is temporary. And that's a day permit. So you're, you're looking at parking on private property. So at the time, people were starting to get a lot smarter. You know, landowners were like, well, I'll just, you know, you got to pay to use my parking lot. You know, so mm. like companies like Laws Parking and stuff were charging an arm and a leg for you to park your truck there. So, you know, what was cool about the street food movement and the street, the food truck movement was you could pull up on the street, you know, but that was eliminated in Austin. The other thing is Austin is is a is a mid to low si- low size city in terms of population, so you're not getting that density that you would in Chicago and in New York, and in much more centrally populated cities. So Austin's downtown in 2010 was very different than than now, but still it's a smaller downtown. So without that density, you can't do the volume, and that's really the only way you can make money in food trucks is volume. Yeah. So. Um, and then there's this expectation, right, that the food should be cheaper off a food truck because because the general customer attitude is, I know your business, and you must have lower overhead on a food truck. And I fucking hate hearing that. <laughs> it fucking drives me crazy. I'm like, what? Do you see this guy that is working the grill here? Like, do you think he's working for free? Like, we have to pay that guy. Yeah. You know, we have to pay for the fuel to get down here. We have to pay for propane. The food ain't free. The prep's not free. Like, there's costs associated with this business. And you have to commissary the truck somewhere, repairs. I mean, it's not this, like, you know, shiny, low uh, overhead business that people think it is. And and I just, I think that's a myth. And yeah, if if I want to accomplish anything in my life, it's to combat that myth. Well, I think there there were times like when the Roy Choi's on the other world started breaking into it and started doing it, and the the regulations weren't quite there yet because they were ahead of the regulations. And well, they, also you know, Roy Choi, I mean Roy Choi was doing probably a million dollars per food truck, which is which are fantastic numbers for a food truck. But one Roy Choi got all the press. He was an original. He was an OG food truck. Yeah, his food was awesome. You know, and like he was like the one of the first guys on Twitter yeah, using Twitter to exactly. promote his food truck. So, and he was like recently twice named Times Most Influential Chefs. I mean, this is like the god of the food truck <laughs> business. So let's not all compare exactly. our businesses to Roy Choi because exactly. for every one Roy Choi, there's a million of us other motherfuckers that that are not yeah, at that you know, level. And the, and the time was different. The, the world was a lot less noisy in like 2007, 2008, you know, when when you didn't have to compete with all that noise of people like pinging their location. And it's just a different world. I don't think we need to get into it anymore. Yeah. Um, but the other variable that I think is worth bringing to uh, the surface is scaling a food truck operation because you, yeah. you can't just hire somebody and you know say 
go drive my restaurant around. You know, like you have to hire somebody that that can, that can manage. Hundred percent. There's so I mean, much. There's this. so much more. Like it's not the same. So dive into some of the the variables that the, the human element of trying to scale a food operation, a food truck operation. Well, I mean, look, um, when you go out and you have an ad for somebody to work in a food truck, your your applicant pool is dwindling fast. Okay. The average person doesn't want to work in a 120-degree food truck. <laughs> they don't want to drive a giant commercial be- vehicle and be responsible for that. Um, even less amount of people want to cook, right, in a food truck when it, in top of the grill when it's so hot in Austin already, Texas summers, all that. So When I drove through, it was 114 degrees. It did not okay. last long. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I mean, you know, the applicant pool, you're looking at a very unique set of people. Um, in, an, in an applicant pool where it's already diluted in current in current day, um, and then like you said, all the problems, all the problems that come with the food truck. I've been blessed, man. I've had some really great people work with me on food trucks. Like that gave a shit about those food trucks just as much as me. And I can come, I can think of a couple guys that that were managers for me that were just. To me, I have I have a lot of respect for it because they really put a lot into those those trucks for me. But those guys are few and far between. That you can't just pick them off trees. I think the other variable too is that you were doing this in 2010, 2011, 12, 13, 14 is when you were really that was the main bread and butter early on was the multiple food trucks. Yeah, but you also were kind of ahead of the curve for the Austin area. Too. I was. So there were a lot of people that wanted to replicate your model. I was. So I, I tell you this: there weren't that many trucks. It was a lot of trailers when I started. We were like one of the first food trucks. You know, Chilantro was around, a couple others, but there weren't many. Yeah, and. What I, what I created was a model where we would go to these different office buildings and serve lunch. And so I would go door to door and talk to property managers and get us into these spots. Now, that's every day now. Now you see tons of trucks doing it. But when I was doing it, nobody was doing it. We were the first ones to kind of negotiate these deals and go to these different office buildings and serve lunch. Times have changed a lot, you know, nine years later, everyone's doing that. Yeah. And I think what I was trying to escalate into is you had a lot of people that were probably interested in opening their own food trucks that were coming to work for you and treating it like they owned it because they wanted to learn the business. Uh, yeah. I mean, I had a few people that, that opened up their own food, a lot actually, more, maybe like yeah. four or five. So these are all variables that as the food truck craze continues to, to get more noisy, these are all going to be more difficult things for you to accomplish, to attract onto yourself the right people to scale food truck operation. Um, so you earlier you mentioned uh, you had this huge influence. It was Josh Henderson who kind of helped you jump, leap uh, yeah. into the, the brick and mortar. Take, what, what, when was this happening? When was this conversation? Uh, it was probably happening? like, so I met Josh in 2011 at, in, at, in San Francisco. So about uh, a year and a half, two years into the food truck. A year, okay. Yeah, I met him at the San Francisco Street Food Festival, and I'd I'd been I'd already known about Josh. I mean, Skillet. He founded Skillet, which was one of, you know, right after like the Kogis of the world, they were like next man up, you know. And um, he was doing some really good food out of his trailer. He'd had an Airstream trailer, um, like a tremendous burger, a bunch of just really good, like solid chef driven comfort food, I would call it, and. Um, you know, we became friends, um, kept in touch over the years, um, and then, uh, you know, I was, you know, he started opening skillet restaurants, and they were doing really well. They were doing like three, four million dollar restaurants, and um, I was like, man, how, how'd you do it? You know, how'd you make that leap? You know, I mean, I really want to, but I'm scared. Eventually, Josh um, 
and his team ended up helping coming out and helping me open my brick and mortar and you know we kind of josh was like a small partner um and i you know he's always been a tremendous visionary in my opinion um he he understands how restaurants works he but more more than anything he he's a tremendous visionary i think he sees locations and kind of just gets it gets like the concept and gets what kind of vibe needs to go in um he's also got a tremendous designer who worked with him a guy named matthew parker who's done a couple of my projects now for us so i mean we still keep in touch and you know he's just somebody who i think is what has one of those unique visionary traits i mean the thing that i want my listeners to pull from this is go to the people that you respected and admired in the industry take an interest in them and uh you'd be surprised at how willing people are to help other good people in this industry. Uh, so what was it about your relationship that you think he saw in you that he was willing to participate and willing to help you? I mean, I can't speak for what he saw, you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what he saw in me. Um, well, I mean, how I, did think, you I think, him? I like, think, uh, you know, I think he knew I was a hustler and like, I wanted to get shit done mm-hmm. and, and I was serious about this. Um, but like I said, it just started off like just, just hanging out in San Francisco and just, being friends you know and then just related i approached yeah. him and was like hey man um i think i'm gonna give this a shot after we had multiple conversations i was like i think i'm gonna give this a shot like what would it take for you to kind of show me the ropes get your crew out here and like help help me open because i i think the number one mistake sometimes we can make is to not ask for help and to to, to just be like oh i already know this i mean i was very honest with myself i i and i try to be as honest as i can with myself throughout the years and in 2014 when we opened up the the burnet restaurant i i was very honest in in the sense that i was like look i don't we could probably get this restaurant open and it would probably be all right but i was like i don't want it to just be all right i want it to be really solid and i just don't know enough about getting this thing open yet you know we just opened up another one bar peached this month on West Six, and and we, you know, we did it ourselves, you know. But that was after we we had been in the business, you know, yeah. running another restaurant for four years. And so, I just think, you know, you got to be a, be honest with yourself and ask for help when you yeah. need it. I mean, when going to other people who could offer you help, I think it's also really important to not approach a stranger and say, "Hey, you're successful, help me." But to be a part of the community, to engage with people and develop friendships first, and and. Make it more than just a request. I think that's yeah, where a lot of yeah, people go you, wrong. You have to have relationships, exactly. You know, and and um, I get I get a lot of people reaching out to me. I bet, you know, and especially in the food truck business. And you know, t- I just don't have the time as much time anymore to help. Uh, but I do help. Uh, I mean, I helped the truck out in Boulder that found me, and I've helped some guys locally. Just offered up my time to them because um, I know how hard it is. I know how hard that food truck business is. So, what um, were the what were the key things that you pulled from Josh? That because you went for him for yeah. you went to him for help. What did he teach you? What would you have not have known if not for Josh? Well, I mean, I I actually was kind of working with his. I was more in the kitchen on the opening, so I was I was pretty much ninety nine percent kitchen. I, I I did very little on the front, um, so I was just I was working with one of his chefs that handled multiple concepts and I was just kind of trying to learn more about efficiency in the kitchen. We bounced ideas off each other. We, you know, I did like tastings for him, for both Josh and Brian. So two chefs, um, whose opinion I really valued. Um, so really for me, it was, it was all 
back of the house oriented. Like, how do I make my food better? How do I plate better? How do I pick this dish up faster? Um, it was all food oriented from my perspective. You know, does this menu make sense? Um, are we driving enough PPA to the table? You know, how does this menu look? You know, like Josh is a very like feel oriented guy. Like I'll, he'll be like, we're just going to have to feel it out. Like we're just going to have to, you know, get in there and and feel it out. And and I'm very much like, well, no, I need to like, low. it's on a piece of paper. Let's look at this right now. You know, what do you mean feel it out? And so, um, you, you know, he's just, he's, He's just very much a feel oriented yeah. guy. You, know? you got to get in there, and you got to. Yeah. You don't know until you you don't like you don't know what you don't know. You know, you get you got to get in there, right? And you got to react to like, okay, we, this, this is how we think it's going to go, but we know that we could spend years planning yeah, what we 100%. think is going to happen, where we can just start now I mean, and, and dude, know instantly. That's why openings are. So, that's why <laughs> yeah. opening a restaurant and openings are so difficult because yeah. you're like you can map this out and talk about it, but at the end of the day, you got to fucking open and you got to figure out what sells, what doesn't sell, how is service, is the busing station in the right area? You know, are the table sections right? Are the table sections too large? Like, all you know, is there enough walkway between the tables? Like, you don't fucking know that until you open. Yeah. So. Um, for me, like I said, it was just it was a lot of kitchen focused stuff. I really was just all about focused on the food, okay. making sure the food made sense. So when when did you actually open your brick and, your first brick and mortar? December of fourteen. Okay, so yeah. uh, what was happening up to this point that you think set you up to be ready for the brick and mortar? I mean, I'd been in the food business for four years at that point. I mean, I had a good understanding of our numbers. Um, I had a good core group of people working for me. Um, we had established an identity in Austin. I think all those things helped. How many trucks were you running at this time? Two. Two trucks? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so you open 2014. Uh, you know, you're now you're in it. What was it like? Uh, I mean, you know, we had a great opening. You know, we were really fucking busy. Um, so it was, it was good. I mean, our team kind of had to figure things out, but we did. You know, we did figure it out. Um, I, there was a kind of a lull you know, for a little bit because I got married and kind of went on my honeymoon and stuff, you know, about seven or eight months after we opened. Um, but one thing we learned quickly once we opened the brick and mortar was we couldn't fulfill all of our catering needs um, within the restaurant. I had built an extra large kitchen with extra equipment. We had a huge vent hood. Um, but we just were having trouble pushing the amount of catering gigs we were doing because we're a full-service catering company, and we went all in on catering um, before we opened the restaurant, we're even more all in now. What so, was that? Why? Why was that? What was the thought process behind? Because that? that's the only way I can make money out of a food truck. Mm-hmm. To be completely honest, I mean, I could go and sell you food till two a.m. when I, when you're hammered, you know. But that's not lucrative for me. So I pulled out of that kind of lifestyle. Um, but which I did for a long time. Um, but you know, we realized in the restaurant that we couldn't handle that volume out the back door for catering. So. Very early on, I started looking for another site um, to build. Um, we're actually in that building yeah. right now. Um, so this is a social house that the you... social house. Yeah, it's a, it's it was another business concept, which is an event space, but it's the central hub for our entire catering and events division. Um, right now, we've expanded since we opened. We have seven thousand square feet here, um, so we have a twenty five. We have about three thousand square feet of warehouse space. 1500 square foot kitchen offices um we're you know uh the actual event space so it's it's a big 
speak property. Yeah, I, I think honestly, even like the approach of starting with catering first, I've, I've profiled a few people who got into food and beverage with the, their catering, and that's what they use to get into the restaurant industry uh, because that there's really a little overhead involved with the catering comparably, um, and the margins are way bigger. So like, yeah. I mean, is that a I, false I, statement? Kind no, of- I, I mean, look, if you want to go like, there's different levels of catering, right? There's yeah. like store level catering, like Chipotle style catering, where you're just knocking out like burritos and like, you know, disposable chafing trays and shit like that. There's kind of like this mid-level catering, like limited service catering. And then there's what we do, which is like a full service catering company where we bring, you know, we'll rent you the plateware, the glassware, you know, that's a much bigger endeavor that costs a shitload of money to get into. Yeah. Um, that's, that's where it doesn't get that cheap, Yeah, you know, cause you need box trucks, catering vans, shit ton of dollies, plateware, Hard, flatware. For every I mean, event. You need a warehouse, <laughs> yeah. you need your own commercial kitchen. At that point, it's an expensive endeavor. Yeah. So it's really depends on what you mean by catering. I hear you. Um, so after the social house 2016 you got the opportunity for the airport uh location 2018 uh one thing like you're scaling you're attracting onto yourself people uh when you first started you said you were like 99% in the kitchen but now you're clearly not in the kitchen we're sitting in your office right now you're making time for me uh you're still yeah. getting into the kitchen i'm sure i was in the kitchen this morning yeah but you're in a lot of other places uh as the i point. am so you've attracted onto yourself get through that process of how you attract onto how you attracted onto yourself the right people uh, when you recognize they're the right people and how you've scaled uh, not just your your physical locations, but your, your mm. the people that you've got around yourself? Well, I think as the brand has grown, we've been able to attract more people. I, as you grow, you know, as your profile gets larger, you, you, you're going to attract more people. Um, early on, uh, the people that that we attracted were taking as much of a gamble on me as I was taking on them. I was a very unproven commodity. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what I did to attract those people early on because there wasn't that much that was too sexy about the job. <laughs> you know, we operated in a shithole commissary yeah. kitchen. You're in a food truck. It's hot. It's a lot of work. Um, so I do respect the guys that stuck with me from early on. Um, those guys, definitely have a special place in my heart because uh, the business was a lot different back then. It was a very difficult business, Mm -hmm. not to say it's not now. Um, but I think we offer a lot of different type of businesses. You know, we have different businesses now that attract different people. You know, you want to be a salesperson, sell catering and events. That's one position. You want to work in a restaurant, be a cook. That's one position. You want to be a front of the house manager. That's one position. You want to be a truck manager. That's another position. You want to sell an event space. You want to be a catering lead. There's a variety, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of different jobs. Now, one thing I've, I've read, uh, doing my research on you was that uh, your approach is very much about creating opportunity for other people. Um, it is it? now. It, it's very much now. So I mean, when did you make that transition? Like when it was? When did you change that? I mean, I'd say the, I'd say in 2014. Okay. When I made the decision to build catering uh, social house, I was I did it so the business could grow, and there was it's certain anything I do is certainly self interested. But um, I also realized that if I didn't kind of put my foot down on catering and put my stamp down and say, look, we're going to grow this thing. I would have lost some people because they would have been like, well, Eric's not committed to, to building this side of the business. Um, I have to grow to provide management opportunity. That's the only way you can retain good management. Uh, 
I, unless we just want to pay people more and not grow, and then you take a cut on your margin. So you either increase your top line or inc- decrease your bottom line. So for me, it's let's grow the business. Let's grow it strategically. Um, let's let's give our core guys more opportunity so that they, they'll stay with the brand. Um, and I think one thing that we, I still offer nine or ten years in is the – ability to you know work with me directly um my door is always open um i'm pretty i'm very hands-on um i I never want to be an absentee owner uh i want to have my always want to have my pulse on the business sometimes i you could argue that my weakness is as i'm a little over involved and i think that would be a valid argument against me as an owner it's something i'm trying to work on I mean, but how has it also served you i think that that's gets kind of wishy-washy because what are you trying to go for i mean are are, do you why wouldn't you want to be involved in your business? Like it's your vision, it's your well. Baby. I think um, I think an owner can wear too many hats, and I think that's when an owner can get in trouble. Mm. Um, because my job as this business grows is to be a visionary and pointed in the right direction. You're like the captain of a ship, you know. You're like we're gonna go here, mm-hmm. you know, and let's point the sails that way, you know. Uh, but if you're too involved at the ground level. Um, it's hard for you to point the ship in the right direction sometimes and starts going in the wrong direction. Um, so for me, I think there's a proper balance. I think you can be over-involved. Um, look, if you're like a chef owner and you have one restaurant and you have 40 seats, like you should be, you should be very involved. Um, but if you have multiple locations, multiple units, multiple managers, that's when it gets tricky. So how do you remove yourself from getting overly involved when you find yourself getting sucked in what's the conversation you have with yourself to kind of you need take to take a, a step back. back and be like am i missing somebody do i need to hire somebody is there a position that needs to be opened up so that we can fill this so that you're not spending all your time on this am i not communicating this well enough yeah. to you that kind of thing? i mean it's a give and take battle and it's like you, you have to reassess every few months if you continue to grow yeah you also mentioned that you try to serve like the north star and you you're you're leading you're you're painting the vision how how do you make sure that that North Star stays where it is? It's, on a, constant, the it's a constant assessment. It really is. You have to you have to really know your brand and, and feel it out and see what your customers are saying. And you know, um, you kind of have to push the buttons as needed, so to speak. And um, you you can't you can't ever be um, stagnant, and you can't. You always got to be pushing. That's what I. That's what I tell all, all my team. It's like you always have to put your foot on the gas pedal at all times, and you just have to know where you're lacking, and and so you can push on the gas pedal and give you more boost. I think it's also knowing that it never ends, right? It, it, it's that feeling of like craziness. It, it never ends. Because- well, I think I think like I said, you always <laughs> have to have your your foot on the gas pedal. You always have to be innovating, marketing yourself better hiring better talent like if you don't continue to evolve and push then um there's always somebody in the rear in your rearview mirror that's happy to take your place so you just opened uh bar peach uh second or third brick and mortar correct that's restaurant focus because you have the, the original the airport third yes and now the bar mm-hmm. anything that you did differently with this opening uh with the prior experience well, I mean, we opened it ourselves. We didn't have any help. Um, any different openings? I mean, it's a different restaurant concept. You know, it's a, it's a bar-focused restaurant. Um, 
the menu's different. Um, we hired a GM uh, as opposed to fulfilling the position from in-house um, because we just didn't have anyone that I felt was quite ready for that. Yeah. Um, and so we hired um, uh, Jennifer, who's our GM there, and she's been really strong to start. She's, got, she's super hospitable. And I realize you're only a month into this location, yeah. so it's hard to really reflect on it because you're in the middle of it right now. Like You're living yeah, it right now. Yeah, we're in our fourth week of service this week. So how's it going? It's going great, you know. Um, there's obviously things that we we need to work on, mm-hmm. um, but I'm I'm happy with the opening. It, it's a big space. It's it's an ambitious product, so we're it's, it's a work in progress. Um, but I think early returns are good. I think people enjoy the space. Yeah. Earlier, we alluded to the fact that you had all this uh, experience with legal matters, uh, really getting diving into the contracts. Anything that you think that you pick up on that most people would miss that would be just good to know things to keep an eye on when reading a contract i mean i always look for the termination section you know like (sighs) if i sign a vendor agreement or i sign an agreement for anything i'm like well how the fuck can i get out of it if i need to okay Um, i I don't think people necessarily look for that i I think um there's just a lot of fine print what do you want to what do you want to see in the termination agreement like what what is it i always want to have a 30 days to terminate man okay (laughs) don't lock me in for a five-year deal or i'll i'll push back on it you know it's like it's like our linen dealer they're like oh we need like a three-year commitment from you i'm like well i don't know i'm like what if i close like i gotta pay you for linens i'm not using like no i want a 30 day out or let's let's talk about this you know let's do something that's so don't trap yourself have an exit strategy don't don't trap yourself 100 awesome so happy i asked that question all right so you also mentioned that um you haven't cracked the code yet but you've looked at a lot of people that you recognize that you believe have cracked the code um if there is a code quote unquote what what is your closest definition to what that code looks like uh, if if you had a guess, well, I mean, I think initially it starts with know your target market and give the people what they want. That can mean a couple things. Um, uh, for instance, um, a restaurant just opened up, not just opened up; it's been about a year old. Um, called El Dorado Cafe, and it's just a very casual Mex- Tex-Mex Is restaurant. South Lamar? It's not. It's uh, it's just off Anderson. Oh, okay. Line. And it's been very successful. And, you know, it's kind of like a slightly off the beaten path location, kind of like a hidden strip mall. You know, it's not like this scenic, beautiful, Instagrammable restaurant, but they're just serving Tex-Mex food. And I think that's a perfect example of a restaurant that's giving the people what they want. And the people have responded and say, yeah, we do fucking want that. And they're always busy, you know. That's not the only way to do it. Um you know, you look at uh, McGuire Mormon's restaurants, and and I've I've yet to see any of their projects not be successful. And there are they give the people what they want. You know, it's just a different type. It's a different demographic, but they know what people want, and they're giving it to them. You know, I mean, obviously, within all of this, the core tenets of having great service, being hospitable, having good food, like those all are non-negotiables, right? Like, you have to have that. Yeah, those are the given. But um, I've really tried to edit myself in terms of being like, hey, um, yeah, like, dude, you might like eating this, but, like, is your customer base going to want to eat this? You know, like, are are they going to find this something, like, that's, you know, tasty? Um, Because, 
you know, I have to edit myself constantly because I grew up in a different country, you know, and I'm used to eating different food. So just, you know, ask yourself, like, are you giving the people what they want? Is this is this about being a business or is this about fulfilling your ego? Because I think there's a difference. So cracking the code, uh, giving the people what they want, knowing your demographic, anything else. I mean, we're, we're assuming the basics, like good service, systems, processes, procedures. I mean, I just think I just think you have to nail a lot of things, right? Like, and I think don't underestimate, like every little detail like for instance uh the design of your restaurant the plateware the glassware the linens um the plants i mean good i mean get it down to the nitty-gritty man because all that shit counts awesome um so before we go to the speed round anything that you were hoping we would talk about anything that you think that you could add more value on something that's near and dear to your heart that you think you could just drop on us real quick or should we just go to the speed round now um, not off the top of my head. Okay, cool. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. So this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurant tours, and you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning and they always check every box everything that a good restaurant website should have these websites have them and it's because they're going to bento box to get the work done and not only will bento box leave a lasting impression with your guests but bento box websites come with hospitality focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online with bento box you can easily update menus promote events share press sell gift cards take catering orders and book private events directly from your website bento box puts you in control so you can focus on what matters most your restaurant bring your restaurant hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website okay we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success just my hard work my my willingness to, to grind it out in any way possible what is your biggest weakness I'm incredibly emotional about my business. If I'm tired, the lows can really drag me down. How do you break that? Because I think that's something that can be said about a lot of restaurateurs. We're emotional people. We, mm. we, we let our emotions you know, kind of steer us. How do you us. break that? I mean, you can always take a step back and look at objectively where your business is now versus where it yes. was five or ten years ago. But it's easier said than done. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Wow. I mean, really, I'm looking at your personality and thinking, are you a good fit from our culture of our team? Mm-hmm. You know, like, could I see myself inviting you over for dinner to my house? I dig it. What is your biggest challenge today? Uh, my biggest challenge today is, is is trying to minimize some of my day-to-day tasks so I can focus on being a visionary for the business. Um, I'm still involved in a lot of different aspects of the business certain aspects of which i i probably shouldn't be um sometimes that's a product of employee turnover um sometimes it's a product of just growth so what's your plan to further remove yourself from the day-to-day do you have a strategy that you're using hire mm. and how, any <laughs> other like specifics on how uh, just hire more people um in between you know me and me and 
you know, some of the staff, the lower level staff. I, I, I mean, I don't really want to use that term, but yeah, you know, um, entry level, entry level. <laughs> there you go. You're hired director of HR. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I have an operations manager. I have, it's not like I don't have management at every level. Like I have fucking managers everywhere, you know? So sometimes I'm like, God damn it, dude, you have fucking <laughs> managers everywhere. Like, how are you so fucking busy? <laughs> you know, it's like, do I need a CFO? It sounds ridiculous. I hear you, man. Uh, what is one code of conduct that you teach your team? This is a behavior, a core value. Be fucking ready, man. Be prepared. I tell everyone this, like, if you're not prepared before you walk in the door, you've already lost the battle. Like, you can't just, you can't, you need to be, to be truly successful, you need to be thinking about shit all the time. My wife makes fun of me all the time because she's like, you're talking in the shower again. You're talking to yourself and it's scaring the fuck out of me. And I'm like, I'm talking to myself because I'm, I'm, I'm like rehearsing like what I'm going to tell people. Like just in an everyday conversation, I'm already thinking about conversations I need to have, and I'm like rehearsing in the shower what I'm going to say to them, how I'm going to say it. I I am always trying to prepare myself, and I tell that I don't care if you're a fucking server, a dishwasher, a line cook, a manager. It doesn't fucking matter. You have to be prepared. You have to think about what you did the day before and how you can make it better. Yeah. And if you guys could hear me giggling a little bit, is because I was wondering what you must have been thinking when I told you my, my, uh, I lost all my audio. <laughs> Honestly, oh, man, I was, I was, I was like, <laughs> my head was somewhere else when you came by. I was, I was like late for something. I oh was, man. Yeah. And, um, on the, the other note, it was like, I, I totally rehearsed cause I, I drove to yeah. Bar Peach to tell Eric that I lost yeah. the audio because I feel like I could not do that <laughs> in an email. So I, I rehearsed on the way there. I was saying, I was like, how am I going to break this to him? Uh, you handle it like a champ. Anyway, uh, the next question uh what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team so something that's common within the four walls of your businesses but not common within the industry i mean we really make an extra effort to to make people feel like they're dining in our you know in our at our house essentially like their their family i've had customers come up to me and say you know what's really special about peach tortilla is that your management team makes us feel like you know like we're we're family. Like when you opened up our peach, we feel like we're opening it up with you. You know, I think that's unique. What's one book to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Well, I mean, I, there's a book called the E-Myth, you know, there's a series of books. Um, and one of the books that I read talks about how you can kind of get enveloped in your business. And if you don't pull yourself back and, you know, delegate and hire, um, it's something I turn to, you know, every few months, you know, that, that sort of, you know, what tasks can you get off your plate as the owner so you can focus on the more important ones? Yeah. And the E-Myth, if I had to like make a list of five must read books to mm -hmm. get involved in the restaurant industry, that book would be on it. It stands for the entre entrepreneurial myth. And it's basically all the, the things that you thought it would be like getting into the industry yeah. and then it's the reality of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's great. And it actually profiles a, a, a what, like a pie maker. Yeah. So it's, it's, it yeah. hits close to home. Yeah. Uh, okay. What is one thing you believe Restaurateurs don't do often enough or well enough. Wow. What is one thing restaurateurs don't do often enough or well enough? I think it's take an honest assessment of their brand, mm. an honest assessment of their actual restaurant. I think sometimes we get so locked into believing that what we're doing is the best and then we don't want to listen to criticism, which is understandable. Um, 
we take a lot of criticism yeah. as restaurant owners on Yelp, on Open Table. Um, not all of it's valid, but some of it is. And we need to take it as valid. Yeah. And we need to accept it and say, how can we do better? What is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls that's had a huge influence on efficiency, uh, communications, uh, uh, profitability, anything along those lines? Well, I'm grateful for our POS system, Touch Bistro. Um, you know, we've used them for many years. Um, I rely on them to view our numbers. I'm always checking my app on the phone, see what our sales are at night. Um, I mean, a good POS is a pretty important part of your, your restaurant business. What was it about Touch Bistro in the beginning that drew you to that platform when you're making that decision? Well, I mean, to be completely honest, they gave us a very aggressive offer through PayPal to, to, to adapt their technology. But since then, it's just been very functional for us. Cool. Uh, this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? Sure. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three truths be? Well, um, one, in the hospitality business, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Remember that. Um, two, hard work and preparation are 90% of the battle. If you're willing to be prepared, if you're willing to work hard, really good chance you'll be successful. It may not happen overnight, but eventually it will be, uh, you'll, you know, eventually you'll be successful. Um, three, um, there is no success without sacrifice. Beautiful. Um, that's probably the biggest core tenant of me. Um, and I think I say this to anyone who wants to start any business. Okay. Well, you want to start a business? What are you willing to sacrifice? <laughs> yeah. You got to give before you get, you got to give something up before you can get something out. And uh, I don't think everybody fully understands the weight of that. You have been a great guest for me twice now. Thank you so much. Uh, I wrap up every conversation like, you know, calling somebody out. So who is one person you admire in this industry and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? Well, um, I think... <laughs> You've already introduced me to Yeah. <laughs> Jay from Cilantro. I think you guys may be setting something up. Yeah. Um, he's a longtime uh, friend. We used to be frenemies uh, <laughs> when we housed our food trucks at the commissary together. Competitive competition or friendly competition. Yeah, he's the only <laughs> business owner I've I've literally been on my hands and knees scrubbing a food truck next to it three thirty in the fucking wow. morning. Um, but respect his willingness to take risk. Um, he's a street hustler. Yeah, well, we have been in touch, and we're gonna try to set something up uh, in April when I'm over in Thailand remotely. And uh, thank you for that. Yeah, and uh, let the folks at home know how can we connect with you if you want to follow your work, maybe come and join your team. Yeah. Uh, questions what's the best way well to um you can always follow us on instagram at peach tortilla or my personal instagram feed at project peached peach with an ed at the end of it you can always log in online to www.thepeachtortilla.com or barpeach.com or check out our event space peachsocialhouse.com but if you just Google Peached, I'm sure you will land at one of yeah. our sites. And I'll have all the links in the show notes. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com. Uh, I'll actually have the episode number for you at the end uh, in the closing thoughts because I'm not sure what episode number this will be. But whatever that number is that I share in the closing thoughts, uh, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash that number and you'll find a summary of today's discussion, a link to all the tools, services, and books recommended, and how to connect all over there. Eric, 
Thank you again for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. My man, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. (laughs) Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. (laughs) Cheers, man. Cheers. There we go. Another one wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Eric Silverstein scattering this conversation with gold. Great advice left and right all over the place. And uh, just again, thank you so much for recording this sucker twice. Uh, You were very patient with me in my technical difficulties. I appreciate you for that. And man, where do we even start with this conversation? Uh, I think the, the big overarching takeaways from this this chat is the importance of playing the long game having that vision and then having the discipline and the, the willingness to sacrifice slowly you know over time and growing when only you grow your people first and i think that was like one of the most underlying lessons is you know you get into this business to create opportunity for other people. And when you have that mentality that you only grow when you get the right people in place and, and you're, you're creating opportunities for other and others, not just yourself. I think that's when the magic starts to happen. And it came out in today's conversation and then just, you know, the, the realness of today's conversation, you know, this is a motivational, inspirational podcast and we can get up here and be all woo woo and you can do it and you can, and it is possible, but you also have to have that real conversation with yourself, that hard conversation with yourself. Am I willing? Do I want this bad enough? Uh, and you know, it's a tough conversation to have and you, you might think you are willing and I'm not trying to talk you out of it, but you know, what are you willing to sacrifice? Uh, make a list of all the things that are most important to you and then get it you know, real with yourself. Am I willing to sacrifice these things, these things I love to do in my downtime? Because you might not be able to do that for like 10 years. So get real with yourself. And I think Eric helped us uh, with that reality check today, uh, getting into the reality of what it's like uh, in this industry. And just awesome stuff too. And great advice on uh, everything from contracts to uh, you know, working on your business, not in your business, and just mindset. I love this conversation. All right, guys, like always, I have to remind you, please reach out to me, Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me how I can best serve you. Help me form the future of Restaurant Unstoppable with your ideas and your your interests and your challenges. I'm here. I'm listening. You can have an influence. Keep those five-star reviews coming. They help us uh, with our ranking and uh, with getting found. Those really do help those reviews. Thank you. Uh, and then sign up for our email list. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com. Scroll down to the bottom or just hang out for a bit. You'll get a pop-up. It'll hit you right in the face. Sign up for the email list. Stay plugged in to where I'm at, uh, who's coming on the show, and you won't miss a single episode because I share uh, the previous week's episodes every email and uh yeah uh, join the conversation and then lastly uh, help us spread the word about restaurant unstoppable and this mission to inspire empower and transform our industry the best compliment is by is simply just sharing the sucker and putting it on the radar of anybody who's aspiring to be great in the industry all right guys that's it for today thank you so much for sticking around this long until next time peace out